Tonight, I'm not going to refer you to a specific passage of Scripture. We're going to be in many passages of Scripture. The topic for this evening on marriage and family is choosing the right spouse. So let us first go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll hear the word of God. Lord, we pray you, praise you and worship you for your word that comes to us. And we take this not merely as good advice or an interesting talk or topic, but as your truth, your revealed truth, your authoritative truth to tell us how we should choose the right spouse. And I pray, especially for the single people who are looking for a marriage partner, that you would help them to apply these principles. And in our church for the singles who have a desire to be married, that you would indeed help them to choose and find the right spouse. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so to answer the question then, how do you find the right spouse? Well, Hollywood or even the Disney movies for kids will tell you, the moment we locked eyes, the moment I saw her, I knew she's the one. Or the moment I saw her, I just knew. And that's the, the, those are the kinds of people who will tell you, just follow your heart. That is bad advice, by the way. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, deceitful is the heart above all things. So, so for these people, everything is just about externals. About, it's, it's about what the person looks like. I remember an unbeliever <clears throat> once saying when I asked him, how did you meet this woman you're interested in? And he said, uh, when I saw her body, I just saw, wow. I, was, I thought, wow, look at the way this woman's built. And those are the, the people who will they'll get married very quickly and they'll get divorced just as quickly. Other people will say, I, I just know it's the right person because I had this peace in my heart. But what do they make of Jonah chapter 1, where Jonah just had peace in his heart while he was disobedient to the Lord? Or Matthew 26, where Jesus didn't have peace in his heart when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and yet he went through and died for our sins. Some people, they'll... Uh, open the Bible and they will read and they say, well, I need to hear God's voice on this and he talks to us through his word. Uh, but they'll use the Bible in the wrong way. For instance, there's the story in the book of Joshua where the Israelites circle the city of Jericho seven times, uh, once each day for seven days and then on the seventh day they walk around the city seven times and the walls fell, fall down, uh, the walls crumble and then they take the city. And so a young man came for counseling to John MacArthur. And he said, they, they had real big marriage problems, he and, him and his wife. And in the end, when MacArthur heard all, the, all these problems, he says, why did you get married? And the man said, because we were in a church and the pastor said, just like the Israelites walked around the city seven times, you should walk around the woman you want. You should walk around her seven times, literally. And then the walls of her heart will crumble and fall and she'll fall for you and be in love with you and you get married. And John MacArthur said, you're kidding me. And the guy said, I'm not kidding. Several other young people got married in the same way because of that same sermon. And then you'll find other people, the way they choose a spouse is they, they just ignore the Bible altogether. They trust in their impulses. They trust in intuition. They trust in their emotions. 
And then they will tell you it's the Holy Spirit who told them to do this. For instance, I grew up in Lutrichard and a young girl said to me, just after we had finished school, she said, God showed me whom I should marry and I can't stand the guy. Wow. Now, not, of those, not, not, not one of those ways. None of those ways are the correct way, is the right way of finding a spouse, a marriage partner. So how do you choose a spouse then? Well, number one, you pray for wisdom. So let's, let's illustrate it and use an example of someone cycling on a mountain bike. So he's on his bike or on his road bike, and he's cycling, and there's no shoulder on this road. There's no yellow line. So he has to keep as close as possible to the pavement, to the curb, but he mustn't come too close or his wheel will hit the pavement and he'll fall, but he has to keep close enough so he doesn't, the cars don't hit him. And so it works the same when it comes to choosing a spouse. You know, some people, their wheel hits the pavement because they don't pray. They don't pray about this matter, Lord, help me to find the right spouse. No, what they say is, God has given me a healthy brain. I can think for myself and find a spouse. But what does your healthy brain help you in finding a spouse if you don't have the Holy Spirit's help to understand the Scriptures and to understand what the Bible says about finding the right spouse? So that's the one side. The other side is like the person who he doesn't drive close enough to the pavement when he rides on his bicycle, but he's too close to the cars and the cars hit him. So this is the kind of person, he doesn't neglect prayer. He prays a lot about the matter, but he ignores the Bible. He doesn't spend enough time in the Bible, in the Word of God, to understand what does Scripture say about choosing a spouse. So all he does is he prays all the time and he looks for some sign that God will give him to show him this is the right person. But if you want to miss the pavement, and if you want to be, keep a safe distance from the cars, what you need to do is, now to use the illustration and apply it to marriage, you need to pray and ask God, give me wisdom and show me the right spouse. Help me to make this decision. And then second, you need to open your Bible. So you need to do both. Just like the cyclist, he needs to stay close enough to the pavement, but not too close. Alright, so when we speak of prayer, it's not enough for you to just ask the Lord at the beginning of this whole process and then, then you continue on your own. No, you need to keep on praying about this issue. You need to keep on talking to the Lord through this whole process and you need to ask for the Lord's wisdom and for His leading. Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6, it says to us, do not... Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on that understanding, thinking you've got it all, you've got it made, you've got the wisdom. No, the Lord will counsel you with His eye upon you. Psalm 32 verse 8 to Isaiah 30 verse 21. He will show you, you'll hear the voice behind you saying, here's the road, walk on it, when you want to turn to the right or to the left. James 1 verse 5 says, if you need wisdom, pray for it. James 5 verse 16 says, the powerful prayer of the righteous, or the effectual prayer of the righteous person, uh, it's powerful, and God answers those prayers. And I think parents especially should, should pray for their children about this. Pray for your children. 
And then even, even you as a single person, ask, ask other believers to pray with you. I, strangely enough, I haven't really heard the single people in the prayer meetings asking, pray with me that the Lord will give me a spouse. Because shouldn't we ask? Just like Abraham's slave in Genesis chapter 24, verse 42 to 48, he prays and he says, Lord, show me the right woman. And the Lord does. Like Martin Holt, the late Martin Holt, when he was at Florida at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Ruderpoort, they would pray in their prayer meetings. They would ask the Lord, Lord, help us. Lord, help the children in this church. Give them good spouses. And the Lord did. The Lord answered those prayers. And then when you've prayed, once you've asked the Lord for help, then you go to the Bible. Because the Bible is a lamp for your feet and a light for your path, says Psalm 119, verse 105. God's word, God's testimonies, God's statutes, God's rules, God's teachings are your counselors. Psalm 119 verse 24. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, or reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So don't, don't act as if your intuition your sense of right and wrong, your emotions, your impulses. Don't think those are better counselors than God's word. Now, I'm not telling you that emotions are unimportant. But if you want to know if it's really the Spirit of God leading you, you need to open your Bible. People are too quick to say, oh, it's the Spirit leading me. It's the Spirit showing me to, this, to, the, to do this or to do that. But actually, it's their deceitful heart. It's their deceitful desires. It's their emotions. Maybe they haven't slept enough and they make stupid decisions or they're taking tablets for, their, for blood pressure and it has some effect on them. Or maybe a demon, maybe Satan tempting them. Maybe it's their hormones changing. It can be anything. And then they say it's the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't line up with the Word of God Then it's definitely not the Spirit. So you need to choose the Word of God above any other way of guidance. Isaiah chapter 8 says, to the teaching and to the testimony, go to the Bible, go to the Word of God. Don't go to palm readers and people looking into crystal balls and all kinds of nonsense. Don't listen to people who say, but I had this dream. What is your dream? Your dream is just chaff. Your dream is just rubbish. Go to the Word of God. Go to the Bible, Jeremiah 23 verse 28. Ezekiel 13 verse 2, other people just speak out of their own hearts. Don't listen to them. Go to the Bible. Study the Bible. What does the Bible teach about marriage? Go to Genesis 2 verse 18 to 25. Go to Ephesians 5 verse 22 to 33. What does that say about marriage? Study that. And you read good books on marriage. Like Wayne Mack's book called Strengthening Your Marriage. Or Paul Tripp wrote a book called What Did You Expect? And it's also on DVD, you can watch it, where he talks and explains what marriage is. And God will show you through his word, what does he expect of you? And what does he, what is he, how does he explain and describe and teach on marriage? And that'll help you to get rid of the wrong ideas that we get in from Hollywood movies, and that the wrong ideas even in Christian romance books, Christian novels, romantic novels, and and they teach you these ideas of there's this wonderful person who's going to come riding on a white horse and fetch you. Just remove those ideas from your head and learn what Scripture teaches about marriage. And that will also help you. It will also help you to remember that marriage is for a lifetime. 
if marriage, if you don't enjoy being married anymore, you can't just get off this bus and get divorced. Because now you say, oh, I didn't like this idea after all. Why did I get married? Well, now you're married. And so you need to think about it and think it through. Maybe marriage is not what you hoped it would be. Or maybe you married for three years and you're in an accident and your husband's in a wheelchair and now you have to take care of this husband for the rest of your life. Or maybe uh, your wife has got quite a stable income and she loses her job and suddenly you don't have that income anymore. Or your wife becomes old and all wrinkled and gets gray hair and your husband gets a fat tummy and, and now they're not so attractive anymore and now you're not quite happily married anymore. So think through, think through, see what the Bible says. And when, once you've studied what Scripture says about marriage, ask your parents, ask for their counsel, ask, ask your parents for their blessing on this. It's, it's totally and completely biblical for a father to lead his daughter in this matter and to protect his daughter against men who want to misuse her. And it's totally biblical for a dad to say yes or no to this young man who wants to who wants to ask his daughter's hand in marriage. If the dad says no, then it's no. And you find this all over the Bible. You know, we too quick and too easily just think, I can take the decision, I don't need my parents' approval. Where the Bible teaches otherwise. It says in Exodus 22, verse 16 and 17, of a father refusing a young man, saying, you can't get married to my daughter. Or giving his daughter in marriage. And that's not in the Old Testament, even the New Testament. According to Matthew 22, verse 30, in Matthew 24, verse 38, it'll remain like that until the second coming, that fathers will give their daughters away in marriage. Because that dad remains his daughter's spiritual leader, he remains the head of the house, until his daughter gets married. Then her new husband is the head. Her husband is then the head of that family. But until then, the dad remains the head of the house. She doesn't become free because now she's 21 and she doesn't need her father. She doesn't need the father's approval. So please listen to your parents. Listen to their warnings. Listen to their contributions. Listen to their advice. Take their advice. And you'll, you'll spare yourself many tears. Like a young woman I know of, she married. She got married to a, a man who was part of a cult. And her parents warned her and said, don't get married to this guy. But she didn't listen. And she did get married to the guy. They didn't attend the wedding because she got married to this guy in a false religion and it wasn't long it was i think a year or 18 months later they got divorced and she realized her parents were right or even like my own sister my sister was engaged to a guy and eventually my parents saw this is not the right guy and they told her you need to break this off and she had to uh, and it was good it was good because then she met the right husband Right, but the question comes, you hear me saying this, that you need your parents' approval. What if you have foolish parents? What if you have wicked parents, evil parents? What do you do then? Well, then you ask the counsel of, of other people. You don't ask counsel of unbelieving friends or colleagues. You ask the counsel of your spiritual leaders in the church. You ask the advice of mature Christians who know the Bible and who believe the Bible and they live the Bible. Uh, Proverbs or Psalm 1 tells us, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Rather, saturate your mind with the scriptures. Meditate on God's word. Proverbs 15 verse 22 says, in the abundance of counselors, where there are many counselors, there is wisdom. So you follow the counsel of godly men and women. And once you've seen this is the right person, 
then go ahead and take the next steps. Or if you see, but this is not the right person, don't keep going in circles. Stop the relationship. I know it hurts. I know it's painful. But it's better for you to break up this relationship rather than get married to the person and you are unhappy for the rest of your life. All right, so that's number one. You pray for wisdom. Number two, second answer in choosing the right spouse is be the right spouse. You know, when John F. Kennedy was the president of the United States in his uh, presidential speech, the inaugural speech in 1961, he, he's made this famous statement. Many people know this. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And in exactly the same way, if I, if I can apply this to choosing a spouse, first of all, don't come with a list saying, I want a person who's like this and like this and like this and like this and not like this. No, the first question you need to ask is, how can I be the right spouse? Not how can I find the right spouse? Because it doesn't help you find the right spouse, but you're not the right spouse. You need to remember, do to others what you want them to do to you. You need to remember, love your neighbor as yourself. You and I need to remember, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we must first of all see, how can I do good to this person? And not just, how can they do good to me? And so if you want to be this kind of spouse, you must be saved. You must be born again. Otherwise, you're just going to get married to see what can you get from marriage. But if you know the Lord, then you'll ask yourself, how can I be more like Jesus? How can I be more like Jesus? Jesus loves his bride. The church is his bride. He cares for her. He loves for her. He provides for her. How can I be such a person and serve my spouse? And then you'll also remember, once you've really become a Christian, and you learn the Bible, you'll, you'll remember and understand that marriage is temporary. You're not going to be married in heaven. Matthew 22 verse 30 says that your relationship with your spouse is temporary. It ends when you die. Uh, but your relationship with the Lord is permanent. It's eternal. And so you need to focus, first of all, on your relationship with the Lord. That is priority number one. That is priority. That is top of the list. And if the Lord is top of the list, if He's number one, then you'll do what He tells you to do. And what He tells you to do is to love and to respect your spouse. And so you'll give more attention to preparing for marriage than preparing for the wedding, getting ready for the wedding day. So in other words, you don't only want to, to find the Proverbs 31 woman or the First Timothy 3 verse 1 to 7 kind of man. No, you want to be that kind of woman. You want to be that kind of man. Number three, get to know the person. Now, the world has got many ideas of how you can get to know a potential spouse, a potential marriage partner. They'll just tell you, move in together, live together, and sleep together, and then you get to know one another better. It's like, like taking a car for a test drive before you buy it. And then other people will encourage little boys and little girls from a young age. They'll encourage them to, to get onto the dating game. Start dating girls. Start dating guys. Get a girlfriend. Get a boyfriend. You need to know how romantic relationships work. Well, what does the Bible say about these things? Well, for un... For unmarried people to live in a sexual relationship and to live together, that is sin, that is taboo, that is a no-no. Hebrews 13 verse 4. 
and even to date, can be dangerous. Because you're asking for trouble. If you've got this young boy and a young girl, they're teenagers or they're young people, both of them, their hormones are changing, and you put them alone somewhere in a car or alone in a cinema, or you put them alone in a room behind closed doors, that is stupid. You're asking for trouble. And is it, is it any wonder? <laughs> Why do we wonder then that you've got all these unwanted pregnancies of people not married, and then the next step is abortions by the thousands and even by the millions, and you've got lots and lots and lots of marriages built on the, 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 the weak foundation of physical attraction, and they attracted physically, and that's why they got married, and then not long afterwards, they're standing in a divorce court. Listen, you don't get to know someone when they're in your arms and the door is closed. That's not how you get to know people. Rather get to know the person where there are other people around and where you, you can start seeing this person's character when he's in his parents' house, when the person is at your parents' house or you're at the bride together with friends or you're in a restaurant or, and you can talk or you're at the sports match or you at a worship service together. And then you start asking questions to get to know the person in different areas of his or her life, their background, uh, their parents, and how, what it was like growing up in that home, and school, and studies, and who were their friends, and why those friends, and what were their friends like, and what are their hobbies and their interests, what are they interested in. Ask them about their conversion testimony, how did they become a Christian. Ask them about their church, and growing up in that church, or the or about their spiritual growth, or previous relationships, and so on. And then also look at this person, at his or her relationship with their parents, or with brothers and sisters. Because if they, if they have no respect for the people closest to them, the chances are very slim and slender that they will respect you. Why will they treat you differently? So don't, don't get married to such a person. That's the kind of person who's going to be kind to you in front of other people, but behind closed doors he lifts his hand and he beats you. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to tell you, don't be in a hurry to get married. Take your time to get to know the person. Proverbs 19 verse 2, He who is hasty with his feet misses his way. So at first, just be good friends. Don't date. Just be good friends. And, and in, a, in a circle of friends, in a group of friends, and be friends with that person. And if the person's not happy with that and say, you oh, know what, I want to be romantic with you, uh, well, then he loves his own lust and he doesn't love you. And she loves her own lusts, she doesn't love you. And maybe you think, yeah, but I'll change the person. Well, that's an error. That is a mistake. It is much better just to break off the friendship and to look further, to keep on with a search, looking for a marriage partner, for a spouse. Nothing and nobody is forcing you to get married to this person. Don't listen to those people who are saying, but this is a golden opportunity. You're letting it slip through your fingers. You'll never again find someone like this. No, rather get married to the right person than simply getting married because you don't want to be alone. And then also, don't 
get married to someone who is divorced on unbiblical grounds. Because if you get divorced or you get married to someone and they already divorced and they didn't get divorced for any biblical reason, then you are committing adultery. Luke 16 verse 18. And even if the person is divorced on biblical grounds, now the biblical reasons where God does allow divorce is if someone commits adultery, where someone's sexually immoral, or when two unbelievers get married, one becomes a Christian, and then the unbeliever says, I don't want to be married to a Christian. Not the Christian initiating the divorce, that is not allowed, but only if the unbeliever says, I don't want to be married to a Christian. Um, now, if you do get married to someone who's divorced and they've been divorced on biblical grounds, they have biblical reasons for their divorce, but they have children, then you must ask yourself, can I accept these children as my own? Do I get along with these children? Because you don't want to get married and then all you do year in and year out is fight about the kids, fight about these new stepchildren of yours. Well, that won't be healthy. Number four, get married to a believer. Marry a Christian. I know a woman who got married to an unbeliever. She got married late in her life, close to 40, and she desperately wanted to get married, and then in the end she just thought, let me just get married to this non-Christian. And now she's sorry, because this non-Christian, this unbeliever, he has no interest in spiritual things, no interest in God, in the Bible, in church. And she's sorry about that. Now, some people think, but, but I'll, I'll get married to this non-believer. I'll get married to this unbeliever and I'll win them to the Lord. Listen to what Richard Baxter said in the 1600s. Will you marry a leper? Will you marry someone who has leprosy because God can heal him? And the answer is, of course not. Why then should you marry an ungodly person because God can save him? If you're a Christian, then it is God's will for you that you marry another Christian. Deuteronomy 7 verse 3, don't get married to these people who worship other gods. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 and 15, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Now I don't mean by this just take any Christian you meet or anyone who calls themselves a Christian. What you want to see is, does this person, he or her, they call themselves Christians, do they understand the gospel biblically? Do they believe the gospel? Do you see in their lives a consistent godly character, a consistent fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, verse 23, 22 and 23? Do you see a consistent love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? And then also ask other people who know this person well. Do they agree that this is truly a Christian? And if everything points in that direction to show that this is really a Christian, then you can get married. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 39 says, you don't need, uh, actually points in this direction, you don't need some sign from heaven to show this is the right one. You can marry, marry any believer of your choice. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 39, you can be married to whoever you want to get married but only another Christian, only in the Lord. And that goes whether the person is the same skin color as you or not. You don't have to get married only to, to another white person or another colored person or another black person or another Indian. You can be married to any other Christian 
even if they're from another country. Now, if someone is not from the same church as you, they're from a different denomination, let's say you're a Baptist and they're Presbyterian, it's not wrong for you to marry a Christian from another denomination, but you need to sort out your differences before you get married. You don't want to argue about baptism once your first baby is born. Now you've got a baby, you've got a child, and your husband's a Presbyterian, you're a Baptist, you say we shouldn't baptize babies, and your husband says, but we're going to baptize this baby, and there's a big fight. You don't want to do that. And you don't want to be in a situation where it ends, in the end it ends up that you go to different churches. Your husband goes to his church, you go to your church. Uh, well, it's not sin for you to go to different churches, but wouldn't it be better for you to be part of the same congregation where you can worship the Lord together? Now, if it, if it can't be different and you've really worked through all of this and you love one another, you want to get married and you go to different churches, okay, you're not sinning. But just make sure that you and your spouse, your husband or your wife, that you have the same goal. And the goal is to show the world the wonder of Jesus Christ through your marriage that they can see. Look how wonderful Christ is, how he has brought these people together in harmony and in love to worship him and to glorify him. And then, then make certain that you, when you get married, you choose a person who will help you spiritually and not someone who will hold you back spiritually. Number five, focus on good character. Uh, Martin Holt, the late Martin Holt, told the story of his son. His son became a Christian, he got saved, and then he said, well, now I want to find a Christian wife. And so what he did is he saw, okay, in my church who are there who are Christian women. And he thought, which one will I ask? I want to start a Bible study with her. And so he met this one and he said, can I start a Bible study with you? So they started a Bible study together every week. As I remember the story, they would meet together for Bible study. But then after a while, he went to his dad and said, dad, I've done this now. And this is a nice girl. And she's got good character and all of that. There's no spark, Dad. And his dad just keep on. His dad said, "Just keep on going. The spark will come." What am I trying to illustrate? I'm trying to show you the Bible is not against external beauty, against a woman being attractive. You find many examples in the Bible of attractive people, men and women: uh, Rachel, Rebecca, Sarah, Joseph, Abigail, and so on. Uh, God made people beautiful. And made them attractive and handsome. But as Christians and following the Bible, we don't focus on externals. We don't focus on what the person looks like. Looks like we focus on we focus on good character. Like in Ruth 2, verse 1, Boaz, Boaz was a worthy man. Or uh, Ruth was an excellent woman, excellent character in Ruth chapter 3. Or uh, when Samuel had to choose a king, God said, no, 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 don't look at externals. This guy's tall, this guy's strong, this guy's handsome. God doesn't look like that. God looks on the heart. Proverbs 11 verse 22, it says, a woman who has, she hasn't got good judgment, she hasn't got good character, she hasn't got discernment, she's like a, a pig with a ring in its nose, a golden ring. <laughs> so, yeah, she's, maybe she's beautiful, but she hasn't got good character. 
Charm is deceitful. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord should be praised. Proverbs 31 verse 30. An excellent woman who can find. She's far, she's worth far more than rubies or far more than jewels and gemstones. 1 Peter 3 verse 3 and 4 says, don't focus on these external things, on, on beautiful hair and jewelry and what the woman looks like. No, it says a woman should focus on inward character, inward beauty, a gentle spirit, a quiet spirit. So look past the externals. Look past the person, what he or she looks like. Look at the person's character. Is this a man who loves the Lord? He's humble. He serves in the church. He cares for other people, cares about other people. Is this a woman? She's gentle. She's got a soft and gentle spirit, uh, a tender spirit, and she gives herself to good works. Because if you're going to look, if you're going to look only to externals, external beauty, you know that marriage is going to last until someone more beautiful crosses your path. And then it's not going to work for you anymore. Then you want this other woman or you want this other man. John Angle James, um, an English preacher, said, to be attached to an individual simply, simply on the ground of beauty, well, that's to fall in love with a doll or a statue or a picture. Such an attachment is lust. It's fancy. But certainly it's not rational affection. Nothing fades so soon as beauty. End quote. Number six, prepare yourself financially. Now, the average wedding in South Africa, I checked this on the internet, the average wedding costs about 80,000 rand. I think that is ridiculous. So when I say prepare yourself financially, I don't mean spend a lot of money on your wedding. What I mean is, you must make sure you can take care of this woman. So I'm talking to the men specifically here. Can you take care of this woman? And I don't mean you need to buy a big flat screen TV or an expensive lounge suite or a nice car before you get married. But you should be able to provide food and a place to stay and clothes. It, it won't be right of you to take a wife if you're sleeping on the pavement and you can't take care of this woman. So what you need to do first, you need to find a job and you need to earn some money so you can rent a place where you and your wife can stay and get these things ready before you get married. Proverbs 24 verse 27, it says that you need to get ready, things ready, everything outside, get that ready and then build your house. Meaning make your preparations first and then you can start building a family. And you can get married. You don't want to be dependent on your parents. So now you're married, but your parents are still taking care of you. That shouldn't be. You want to be independent, and you've started a new family. You've left your parents, uh, Genesis 2 verse 24. You've started a new family, and you take care of them. Because any man who, who just ignores the financial aspect, he doesn't take care of his family, he's disobedient to 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. He's busy sinning. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, if you don't take care of your family, and especially the members of your household, you are worse than an unbeliever. You've denied the faith, you are worse than an unbeliever. Now, I don't mean by this, I don't mean it's a sin to be poor. But I, but I do mean that you must be responsible, and you are responsible for your family's financial well-being. And if that means 
You can only rent a one-bedroom flat or a two-bedroom flat. Let's say one bedroom, it's a, like a bachelor's flat, it's very small, and you don't have enough money for meat, you can only eat vegetables. Well, that's fine. That's fine. You can get married then. At least you can put a roof over the woman's head and take care of her. And that's much better to do that than the rich man. He can give everything to his family, but they're always busy fighting him and his wife, or he's never at home. He's like a bird that strays from its nest. Proverbs 27 verse 8. It's much better to have vegetables where people love each other than having steak and all the best food, having food and having a feast, but you're always fighting. Proverbs 15 verse 16 and 17 and Proverbs 17 verse 1. Number 7. Take action. The same Martin Holt, he, he once told us a story of a man from Barberton. And this man from Barberton was really interested in a woman. I think, I don't know if she stayed in Pretoria or in Joburg. But he was really interested in her. And he kept on bugging her and saying, The Lord told me you must marry me. The Lord told me you're my wife. You're the one for me. And she didn't want to get married to the guy. And she tried to put him off, but he just wouldn't listen. He kept on coming back. And eventually this guy came and Martin Holt said, she, the woman came to Martin Holt and said, Please, I can't get this guy off my back. And then Martin Holt said to the man, Listen, I'll talk to you. And the guy came, please, Martin Holt, can you help me, this woman? She won't come with me. She's disobedient to the Lord. She must come back with me and live in Barberton with me, get married to me. And Martin said, listen, remember the story in Genesis 24 where Abraham sent his slave to fetch a wife for Isaac? And the guy said, yes. He said, yes. And he went all the way to fetch this woman. And the guy said, yes. And Martin said, and look at the verse 57 and 58. They asked the woman, do you want to go with this man? And then she agreed. Does this woman go, want to go with you? No, she doesn't. So stop bugging her. Go back to Barberton. <laughs> so, so if you think you've met the right person, you need to ask them, do they feel that way too? And if they do, then you can take action. Now, it doesn't help you keep on praying for years and years and years and you wait for the Lord and wait upon the Lord. Lord, send me the right person. And you keep on praying. Well, that's like the person who keeps on praying for a job, but he never goes out looking for a job. It's not going to work. You've seen Ruth chapter 3. Ruth put on her perfume and she made herself pretty and she dressed in her best. And you see in chapter 4 of Ruth that Boaz, the man, he made all the necessary arrangements to get married to this woman. What am I telling you? I'm trying to tell you, yes, it's right for you. It's good for you to check out the situation. But don't procrastinate. Don't keep on pushing the issue, pushing it on and pushing it on and pushing it off and pushing it away. Because there are these people right around you in our church. They're available. They're single. In all labor there is profit, in all toil, in all hard work you'll get some profit. But if you just talk all the time, you'll remain poor. If you're just going to talk about the situation, about marriage, and pray about it, and pray about it, and you never take action, you'll never get a wife, you'll never get a husband. So why do you want to wait? There are single people in the church. Do you know single Christians? Do you know single believers? Believers who aren't married? Why not take action? Why wait? Is it maybe because your standards are too high? You're looking for Bible Barbie. 
or the girls you're looking for, Prince Charming. And your standards are so high, but as John MacArthur said, you're not such a hot a catch yourself. <laughs> or maybe you're not taking actions because you're not taking action because you like the world. You're afraid to be committed. You're afraid of commitment. Or maybe you're afraid to get married because you think if I get married to this woman, just a month later I would have met Miss Perfect or I would have met Mr. Universe. Well, I want to tell you, you're living in a dream world. You need to take action. You need to go to that unmarried girl, that single woman, and you need to tell her, the single Christian woman, uh, can I start a friendship with you? And you need to go to her father and say, can I start a friendship with your daughter? Or if, her, if she doesn't have a father, ask her mother. And if the girl says, no, I don't want to start a friendship, I'm not interested, then ask someone else. And once you've re- met the right woman and you've, you've gone through these steps and you see this is the right woman, then I want to encourage you to go through Wayne Mack's book, Preparing for Marriage God's Way. You can do it with me. I do this with couples quite, or from time to time at least. Because if you keep on putting this matter off, putting off the matter, uh, in the end you might lose this girl who was a good Christian woman, a single woman. She's a faithful believer, dedicated to the Lord, and you've missed an opportunity. Like my dad, when I was engaged to my, my wife before we got married, uh, you know, I was also putting the matter off and procrastinating. And, and eventually my dad said to me, you know, If you don't get married to this girl, you don't have to, but I'm just telling you that within four months, she'll be married to someone else. Engaged and then in a few months be married to the other person. So you better make up your mind. Wow. Now I know it's it's no light matter to get married. And you can't take this decision lightly. You must think through it. But I also know that you shouldn't live like an unbeliever. Don't live as if, as if you don't have a good and faithful Father in heaven who's given you everything you need, all the resources you need to make a decision. My mother-in-law taught me this before I got married. When I was procrastinating and thinking and thinking, no, I got cold feet, maybe I shouldn't get married, and maybe this is not the right, right girl for me. And eventually my, I was fooling around with, with my fiancé with Deirdre, who's now my wife, fooling around in, in, in the wrong sense of, uh, no, I'm not sure if I want to get married. And eventually my mother-in-law sent me an SMS. In those days, it came through in four SMSs. It's too long for one. This massive long message. And she said to me, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Don't you have faith in God? Don't you believe God's promises that God will help you? What's the matter with you? Where's your faith? Wow, she was right. I lived as if I don't have a Father in Heaven who will help me to make this decision and go through with it. Alright, so, question I leave with you this evening. Uh, you've, got, you've got these biblical principles now. The ball is in your court. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for the truth of your Holy Word and I do pray for the single people in our church who want to get married, that you would help them to now move forward and make it their goal to find a godly Christian wife or a godly Christian husband, and that you would bless the marriages in this church to the glory of your name.
Amen.